before you came.
someone saying something or do we just start, Eric? Is someone gonna open up or do we just start? Oh, okay. <laughs> Good morning, nope. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas, everyone. No, uh, it is not morning. We hope you're joining us with your family. We're really blessed to be here and sing some Christmas songs and hope you'll join us too. We're gonna start with joy to the world. Celebrate the Lord. Shepherds kept 
In a lowly manger The humble Christ was born And brought us God's salvation That blessed the Christmas morn Glory. 
Christmas was a new microphone, and apparently it's stuck in the mail, so I want to be using this tonight. It is so good to be with you. I know that we would love to be in person with you, and for those of you who are thinking about coming out to our 430 candlelight service in the parking lot, we are going to be gathering rain or shine, so feel free to come on down. Uh, and if you have a Bible and you want to join me tonight in walking through this Christmas story, go ahead and turn with me to, John, uh, to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be out of this evening. While you're turning there, have you ever read scripture, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times? This Christmas story is one that I'm intimately familiar with. My parents started teaching it to me as early as I could listen. Uh, and then I've spent years teaching it to my sons. And it's something I've read so many times that it's really easy to do so on autopilot. And yet, the thing that keeps happening to me is that God's word continues to speak right into our context right into whatever's going on and it feels so alive so fresh and new and this season bar none has been showing me new perspective in the christmas story and so what we want to do tonight is we want to approach the christmas story with fresh eyes because the danger of familiarity and that's let's be honest we're all familiar with the christmas story the danger with it is that much like water over a, a river stone, it can begin to kind of polish off all the rough edges, all the messiness of the story, and it can make it sound more like a myth, more like a story somebody made up than reality. But the truth is, it's incredibly real, 
And we don't want to lose out on the messiness because even though that, that familiarity may polish away the stuff that could cause us to be offended by it, it'll also polish it away so that it can't inspire us or, or awe us. And so we want to return back to the heart of what the story is because if there's one thing that 2020 has given us, and it's taken a lot of things from us, but if there's one thing that 2020 has given us, it's a new appreciation that life is messy, a new appreciation for the authentic things that we have, especially when many of the things that we've come to expect or, or rely upon are taken from us. I mean, we can, we will no longer look at walking into a supermarket and seeing toilet paper on the shelves the same way. We'll no longer look at going and sitting down at a restaurant the same way. We'll no longer look at blowing out birthday candles the same way. Some of you may not do that anymore. And we certainly won't look at going to church the same way. So 2020 has given us new perspective. And as I have been reading the Christmas story, something I'm intimately familiar with, one of the things that 2020 has given me is a new appreciation for and new insight into this story. And I just want to invite you into it. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. The story that we know so well begins this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And while everyone went to their own town to register, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. Now, this is a part of the story that we know really, really well, right? Many of you have that mental picture of Joseph and Mary, Mary sitting on the donkey, pregnant tummy, walking over some, you know, lonely hillside as they're on their way to Bethlehem. And it seems sweet. It seems serene. And yet, I don't know about you, but any moms in here who have had children, I, my understanding, my recollection from Kathy is that the last couple of months of pregnancy are the least comfortable months of the pregnancy. They're the time that you don't want to go anywhere, and yet Joseph and Mary are forced to travel 90 miles overland along rough terrain. You know, Mary's on a donkey, but for anybody who's ever ridden a, a horse or a donkey, they are not comfortable things to ride on. And they're forced to do that because there's some politician back in Rome who wants to know how big his empire is. My guess is that no matter how reverential Mary and Joseph felt about the, the child that she was carrying, they probably had some not-so-holy words for Caesar who called for the census, right? This census was an incredible interruption to their best laid plans. I know it was frustrating. And it reminds me a little bit of, of what we're walking through today because I know that in a lot of ways, the fact that I'm not able to, this is typically a, a packed house that I get to talk to on Christmas Eve, and it's empty right now. I get to talk to a camera in the back, and you're sitting at home. I know typically you would be sitting with me in here. We'd all be wearing our Christmas best, and that hasn't happened this year. And this is just one of many things we'd ha we've had to let go of. And we can blame coronavirus we can blame a politician. We, we can get frustrated at it. I know it's been discouraging for a lot of people, and a lot of us are going, how much longer, God? But here's the thing that I'm reminded of 
as we dive into this Christmas story. Although the census was an interruption to Joseph and Mary's best laid plans, although I'm sure they would have chosen not to have to do that at the end of Mary's pregnancy, God was not overcome by it. It actually served to bring about God's purpose and his plans. Because hundreds of years before this happened, hundreds of years before Caesar Augustus was even born, God had prophesied through the prophet Micah that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Remember, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. That's 90 miles away. You better believe that there is no chance they would have ever just up and said, hey, you know what? For our baby moon, let's go over to, to Bethlehem. Just let's go visit your family back there. And they never would have. And so God used an unbelieving politician's power play to bring about his purpose and his plans. And the reminder for me is that regardless of what we want to point to and blame for this season and, and the sacrifices we're having to make. God is not overcome by it. He's not surprised by it. And he will use even the discomfort of what we're walking through to bring about his purpose and his plans. And in that, we can find peace, even though we don't know how much longer it's going to last. Let's keep reading, because there's more. It's really fun, by the way, to, to be able to look at Scripture through a, a new lens, through a new perspective, and begin to recognize, my goodness, even though this, this text was written down thousands of years ago, it's still so utterly relevant to our lives today. Verse 6, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to for her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. Or some of your translations might read, there was no room in the inn. And this is another quaint part of the Christmas story that all of us are familiar with. All of our nativity scenes remind us that Mary and Joseph gave birth to their baby in a stable surrounded by animals. And that doesn't seem all that audacious. That doesn't seem all that big a deal. Yeah, you know, it, maybe it was uncomfortable that they had to be there. We never think about what it might have smelled like in there. But it just seems right, right? Because, again, our familiarity begins to polish away the scandal of this. But think about this for a moment. We are approaching the Christmas story from a 21st century American perspective, not a 1st century Middle Eastern perspective. And that makes all the difference. Because when we think about this from a 21st century American perspective, we start thinking about things like, well, you know, Joseph and Mary got to Bethlehem late at night. It, it's pretty close to the census, so the whole city is full, and every hotel and every motel is booked up. They can't even find something on Priceline. They've gone to the Marriott on down to Motel 6. They're at a loss. And then thankfully... Some kind manager at a motel says, hey, you know what? You can go crash in the first century version of a parking garage, which is a stable. You can crash there. And, and we look at that as like, oh, that was really nice. But remember, in the first century, in the Middle Eastern culture, it wasn't like that. They didn't have hotels and motels like we do today. The first century Middle Eastern culture prided itself on hospitality. And one other thing that we often forget, Bethlehem was Joseph's hometown which means that it's almost certain that he would have had some family in the city. Now, it may not have been his mom or his dad, or he may not have brothers or sisters. We're not sure. 
but at the very least, he would have had extended family. And are you meaning to tell me that in a culture that prides itself on hospitality, some family member could not find a couch for this couple to crash on, couldn't find a spare room? Uh, you know, maybe they got there so late that all the other cousins and all the ex other extended family have already claimed all of the guest rooms. But even that doesn't sit right, does it? Because Mary's pregnant. Are you suggesting to me that they can't, one of the cousins isn't going to be like, hey, you know what, why don't you take the guest room? But that's not what happened. Instead, they say, sorry, there's no room. And Mary and Joseph find another place to sleep. And what this reminds me of is that the birth of Jesus, the pregnancy that led to the Messiah coming into the world was scandalous, utterly scandalous. So scandalous, in fact, that Joseph's own family wouldn't even allow him to come and stay with them. And it was also incredibly inconvenient to them. Having Jesus cost that young couple immensely, not just in terms of discomfort and their timing, but it cost them socially. People began to talk. People began to cast judgment. People drew conclusions. Even if they started sharing the story, no, this child isn't because of Mary, Mary and I. This child is from God. You know people are just going, yeah, pull our other leg, right? And so Jesus was not born in a home was not born surrounded by family. Jesus was born in a stable surrounded by animals and laid to rest in a manger. And for me, this reminds me a couple of things. One, God doesn't work the way that we would typically work. God's ways are not... I wouldn't have planned for precipitation to come out of the sky today, nor would I have ever planned to be forced to do our Christmas Eve service outdoors because we can't meet inside. And yet, God's ways are not always our ways. And Jesus' birth in that stable declared to the world something really important. It declared to the world that he was not coming for those who are well-connected only. Right? If, if God wanted to make that statement, he could have had him be born in a palace or, or in a nice home. But Jesus was born into a stable Reminding the world that he was coming to save everyone. He was the Messiah of everybody. The well-connected and the unconnected. Those who were wealthy and those who had nothing. The well-educated and the uneducated. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Including a couple of, or a, a group of shepherds. And they're the next part of the story that we are so familiar with. Verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, <laughs> and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Notice that, all the people, not just some of the people, not just for the Jews, for everybody. Because today... In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on those upon whom his favor rests. Well, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You know, shepherds are another part of this Christmas story that we just feel fit, right? We're familiar with them, and that familiarity kind of polishes away the scandal of this. But in the first century, shepherds weren't respected. Shepherds were, were the uneducated people that couldn't cut it in another field, and so they were just sent out to tend sheep. And shepherds weren't respected, and they weren't trusted. They were so untrusted, in fact, that a shepherd's testimony was not admissible in a court of law. And yet, it is God's purpose and His plans that He didn't choose to reveal the Messiah to the Pharisees or to the teachers of the law, he chose the very first people who got to hear the good news from the angels and got to meet baby Jesus. The very first people were a bunch of uneducated, stinky shepherds. They got to be the first ones to meet the Messiah along with Mary and Joseph. And then, even though their testimony wouldn't be admissible in a court of law, they got to be the ones who got to go out into the streets of Bethlehem and begin to say, we've met him. The Messiah, he's come. His name is Jesus, and he's beautiful. And they got to begin to share the good news with the people of God who had been waiting in darkness, waiting for centuries for their Messiah to come. You know, one of the things that I'm reminded of this year, and this is an important perspective shift for me, one of the things I'm reminded of this year is that Christmas is not primarily a celebration of Jesus' birthday. I mean, we have birthday parties for people all year long. Christmas isn't just Jesus' birthday and we celebrate it. The reason we celebrate at Christmas is because of the significance of what Jesus' birth actually signifies. His entrance into our world reminds us that our Father in heaven, the one who created us as his image bearers, did not want to remain estranged from us. He sent Jesus to tear away that separating wall that keeps us from him, and that wall is called sin. And he sent Jesus to deal once and for all with that so that we could be restored back into relationship with him. The reason we celebrate at Christmas is because it's a tangible reminder of just how much God loves us and that he hasn't given up on us. And... The reason we celebrate at Christmas is it's because of a reminder that not only have we had a renewed identity as his sons and his daughters, but we have a renewed purpose as well. I'm going to go off stage for just a second because I'm going to grab something that we use every year in our Christmas Eve celebration. And that is a light. Now, if you were here with me, what we would do is we would take this Christmas light this flame, and I would begin to pass it out to you. And the flame is symbolic. The first thing is the flame inside this is a really meaningful one. It's called the peace light. This flame isn't just one that I lit 
earlier. This is a flame that's been taken from the grotto in the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, the place where many think that Jesus was actually born. And in that grotto is a lamp that has been burning for over a thousand years as a tangible reminder of the night that the, the, the light of the world was kindled in a stable. And this light, or this, this flame for the last 30 years has been slowly disseminated across the planet. And each Christmas, when a lot of churches light their candles for their candlelight services, when we light our candle tonight in our candlelight service, we're going to be using a flame that dozens of churches in Costa Mesa and thousands of churches around the planet are going to be using to light their flame. And it's a tangible reminder of a several things. One, that in Christ we're united. Even though we gather in different places, I know some of you are joining me from different states, we are still family because of Christ. And secondly, it's a reminder that although Jesus was the light of the world, he then gave us the opportunity and the purpose of being ambassadors of that hope. Those shepherds were the first ones whose hearts were lit with hope. They saw Jesus, the Messiah, and that hope was kindled in their hearts. And as they went out into the streets of Bethlehem and began to share the good news, not everybody believed them. Not everybody was saved. In fact, probably very few in that time were saved. But for those who held on to those, that good news that they were sharing, for those who found hope, not in a story, but in a person of Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, that light was kindled in their hearts, and they began to disseminate it to their children and other people in their sphere of influence. And the reason we pass this flame, and if you were here, I just want, to, I want you to look at this lamp, and I want you to consider that you, if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, you are this flame in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your home, with your unbelieving family members this Christmas, with the people you interact on social media, yes, even there, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world and the way that you live, not according to your own values, but according to the values of our King. He's our Lord. And as we submit to Him and we allow His values to shape our values, our light will radiate in the darkness. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of people who are hurting right now who desperately need to find the hope that we have found in Him. The goal of radiating this light is not so that people will be attracted to us. It's so that people will be drawn to the one who has brought the light into this world, drawn to the only one that can save them. I can't save anybody. Jeff can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. So you can let yourself off the hook, okay? Stop beating yourself up over that. But there is one that can save them. His name is Jesus. He has come into our messiness to save us in the midst of it and then to give us a new purpose to walk through it with hope when so many around us are feeling hopeless. So as we sing this one last song tonight, and it's a song that's, that's really been resonating for me. Because typically, when we pass this flame, we sing Silent Night. It's become our tradition. As long as I've been at Lighthouse, that's been the song we sing. But here's the funny thing about Silent Night. 
we sing that all is calm and all is bright. And I'll be honest with you, that just doesn't resonate for me this year. And I certainly don't think, as I think about the Christmas story, that that was what Mary and Joseph experienced. A young couple who are about to have a kid in a city where they don't feel welcomed and have to go and go into a stable. I'm sorry, but it's not calm. It's probably not very bright for them. But there's another Christmas carol that we all know intimately well called Old Holy Night. And in that song, there's a line that says, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And that last part of that, the weary world rejoices, that feels like what we are experiencing real time. Yeah, we're weary. And yet in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this shutdown, in the midst of all of the questions of what will 2021 hold for us? When will we be able to gather again? And all the other stuff that's swirling around. In the midst of the sadness of maybe not being able to gather with our family and our friends for Christmas. We, we rejoice because the light has come into the world. But the light has also come into our hearts. And we now get to be ambassadors of that light. So let's sing this song as a celebration of the joy that we have found and the hope that we have found in him. Let's worship together. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth.
Together, I wish I could give you a hug right now. Just know that we are so grateful that we're family. In Christ, we truly are family. And I pray that you have a very, very Merry Christmas. That you would celebrate, not because it's Jesus' birthday, but because Jesus' birth reminds us just how much our Father loves us. He loves you more than you can ever, ever possibly fathom. May your light radiate the hope that you found in Him so that others might find him as well. Have a very, very Merry Christmas.